This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people. And today is part two of my conversation with Mark S. King. He is the author of a book called My Fabulous Disease. I followed his writing for a while and I've just always enjoyed it. It's witty and wise. His stuff just lands. And so we had quite a long conversation. And so I decided I'll make it a two-parter and this will be part two. I'll just give you a few um, lines of marks that I that I wrote down before the interview, just to give you an idea of why I like his writing. Um, here's one. He was talking about gay life pre-AIDS, and he wrote, I got the clap so many times I called it the applause. Come on, that's a great line. <laughs> you got to admit that. And then he recently wrote on Queer Tea. He was um, writing about uh, his obsession with looking good, and um, he wrote this. I spent too much time looking for the kind of adoration that working out at the gym brought to me and now my back is killing me. I just like, his stuff is clear, it's smart, it's wise, it's funny. And uh, I love talking to him. But before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that there are two ways you can support this podcast. One is you can go to DennisAnyone.net and leave a tip in my virtual tip jar. Help me cover my expenses. And I want to give a shout out to a listener named Alan W. who did just that recently. And it really made my day. I, I got the notice that, that that had gone in at a time when I was kind of feeling like, what am I doing? Like I was kind of in a, I was, I, I was kind of in a funky day and I got that and it made my day. So thank you, Alan. I, I really appreciate that. The other thing you can do is consider becoming a subscriber to DNR Studios. I'm part of a group of shows under the Derek and Romaine banner, really fun shows. And for a monthly fee, you get my show early and you get all these other great shows. So you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com. And now here's part two of my interview with Mark S. King. What do you think of when you think about body culture, beauty, hotness, all of that? What do you think of Instagram culture and social media now, um, which is wasn't, wasn't around when you were sort of at your heyday in terms of that part mm -hmm. of your life, the gay strut part of your life? I, right. I, just, I, I like looking at it. Um, it's very appealing. Um, I don't know. I wonder what those guys will look back and go, gosh, that was a really great investment of time. I'm so glad I did that. That sounds snobby even saying that when I want to look at them, you know, like, yes. I just, it's yes. an interesting moment. Like, I think because of social media, that gay strut, that I'm hotness, that feeling that is fucking amazing. Well, first add of it all, to social, add, put that, put social media on top of that. That's mm -hmm. a whole other level, I guess, of that kind of fixation, I guess. You know, we will culture and, and you know, but the, the gay men, you know, uh, didn't invent this. Right. Right. You know, uh, culture's uh, obsession with youth and beauty. I mean, you know, ask any parents of a teenage girl. Yeah. You know what they question about uh, about sexual, you know, um, currency. Um, I uh, and yet um, gay men will always uh, brand. We're great at branding. Yeah. You know, uh, and, I'll, and, and, and some of it might be for the good, you know, when we start branding different body types, you know, the bears and the this and the that, yeah. you know, if we're doing it in celebration of all sorts of body types, right. that's a great thing. Um, I am, by the way, a ginger daddy. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. That is, and I'm hanging on to that. You yeah. know, it's funny. I'm 63 and it, will I still hang on to whatever currency I have? Yeah. There is a, a Facebook group for like ginger type guys and their admirers. Do I post on it? You fucking bet I do. Yeah. 
So, um, and are I, you in a are you in a tight T-shirt on your book cover? You're damn fucking right, you are. You bet I am. Is that <laughs> is that photo ten years old? You bet it is. It's fucking you know? great, though. It's a great picture. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and and I've done. Uh, you know, I've have photos from the photo shoots for this book. I, I mean, by that I mean just for the publicity of the book and stuff. And some of them, I look good. Do I post those on that ginger page in Facebook? You bet I do. You know, right, right. and and it, does it lead to some people? You know, like sliding into my DMs, as they say. <laughs> yes, and I immediately read those to my husband. Yes, so he knows. He's on. So he he's, knows. on he's on the thing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I still got it, baby. You still you know? got it. It's it's not. It matters. It always matters. It never doesn't yes. matter. Um, you know, and, and I don't know when I will. I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous, of course. And, and and like we say, we have such we have many thoughts about that. You yeah. know, including the fact that we won't stop looking, and right. and that's because we like to look. I mean, yeah. okay, we like we we like to look, and we like to feel. And again. Thank God for Gay's branding. Uh, you know, we like to feel that there's a place for us in that equation somewhere. Yeah. And maybe there, well, there will certainly be a time where, where I, I, I that the, there isn't a photo from the photo shoot that I find acceptable for that <laughs> Facebook page. There will become a time. There will come yeah. a time. Um, uh, but for now, I guess I, you know, I say I, 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 I bought into all of that. I bought into gay culture. I bought into the gym and the biceps and the tank tops, lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah. And I, I, although I like to talk about my elevated self these days, yeah, you know, um, old habits die hard. Yeah, no, it's intoxicating. Like I could, that's all I could do right now to, to pick up my phone and see who's cute on Instagram or whatever it is. Um, that's right. Well, and if you dip far enough into my Instagram yeah. page, you're going to find me by poolside, <laughs> you know, uh, circa 1992, you know, because, yeah. uh, God, God, I got those pictures. I better dig them up and find a place, you know, yeah. right. They're not doing anybody any good. Just sitting in a drawer. Um, that's right. Speaking of cuties, you write about the movie Dawson's 20 load weekend in one of your blogs, which is a, a porn movie from 2000. I don't remember the year. Um, but yeah. it's sort of, you know, it was, it was a barebacking movie and it, it was a sensation and stuff like that. And I, I, it's, I've seen it. Um, that guy's cute. More than I? once. Uh, probably. And, um, there's a whole culture now around cum dumps, like, or, or, or that, mm -hmm. that didn't exist before AIDS, did it? There was nobody no. that that was their thing. And this, uh -huh. and and it's not like oh it makes sense that there's a thing like that now for some people, it's a lot. There's a lot of it's a lot of people that are way into that, and I just find that really interesting. I don't know what to make of it, but it's like oh let's look at a cum dump video from 1968. They don't exist. That was not right. a thing. Nobody's got a yes. sharpie. Uh, you know that sharpies uh -huh. were not a part of the bedroom <laughs> uh, accoutrement. Well, you know, I, you know, it's all evolution, right? And in terms of, uh, our response to, you know, uh, porn is not immune to what's going on in our society, right? And in terms of taboo and, um, certainly Dawson's 20 load weekend. I'm glad you bring that up because I really enjoyed writing that. I did more research, by the way, and I mean that legitimately more research 
for that article than anything I've ever written because I talked to the director of, 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 uh, Dawson's 20 load weekend and, and, uh, and to, uh, uh, to epidemiologists and uh, social anthropologists and whatnot, you know, and not to make it sound too scientific because what it really comes down to is that heralded a time where gay men were pushing back and saying, this is important to me. Yeah. This is important to me. The, rece- the receiving of my sexual partners come is important to me. It's important sexually. It's important spiritually. It's important emotionally. All of those things. And, and, uh, and I will have it. Thank you. I will have it. And, um, there was a new sexual choreography that, that, that the movies like that introduced. And that was, it used to be in porn, the, the, the top would, would inject his cum into the, the, the bottom. Oh no, he would pull out and, um, and, and shoot all over his ass or whatever you to, to, to prove that, yeah. you know, to it prove, the, you know, the yeah. money shot, you know, in bareback porn. They would pull out, they'd come a little bit, and then they would put it back in because they want you to know where it belongs. Right. It belongs inside. I mean, that was their, that was their approach. That was the message they were trying to receive. And, and, and it was a big fuck you to AIDS. Yeah. Uh, and I understand that. That I get. I understand now the whole conduct thing to me, it's like, okay, how do we take that and pump it up? You know, what's the sequel? It's yeah, gotta like, be 50 loads, like right? 20 at this point seems quaint compared to some of these people. Yeah, on Twitter. isn't it? Yeah, it really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it goes from the, uh, to the ridiculous to the absurd, right? You know, yeah. um, and, uh, and it's all about taboo. It's all about, you know, uh, and it's a response to seeing, semen as dangerous and, uh, um, um, you know, uh, murderous. Um, it's a response to all of that saying, no, this is life giving. This is wonderful. This is sexual. This is what we, right. This and, is what and we're so I'm glad that we're do. back to that place. Yeah. Biologically. I, I'm glad we're back to that yeah. place. It's, we're only doing, you know, like, it's like what men I think are wired biologically to do, uh, yes. nature, by nature. Um, what do you think of this moment? in our culture in terms of like, you know, the, the, there's the just for fans of it all. And there will always be new technology and we as gay people are no different. We will figure out how to use that technology for sex. Right. And so certainly, you know, get ready for, you know, the uh, virtual reality, uh, you know, and can I touch this and do that? You know, oh boy, you know, so we will always transform technology into its, it's the most obvious application, of course, yeah. which is sex. Um, and, and what's interesting to me about OnlyFans and all of that is that we get to know the guys. We see them shopping. We see them trying on new clothes. We see them talking to us about their lives, which I find fascinating because it used to be you didn't know anything about these guys. You saw them in the movies and that was it. You know, now we get to see them with their boyfriends and their boyfriends, boyfriends and, and all of that. You know, it's all very. I like to see I the outfits. I like to see the outfits they show up to the trick in. Is that a weird uh, Yeah. No, I was like, oh, he's, those so. jeans are really, they really suit him. Oh, you know, good on you. If that's where you go, fine. <laughs> you know? No, but um, there is a sort of, <clears throat> there is a sort of um, immediacy or of, of maybe it's imagined, but there is a little bit more like it's not as glossy 
Um, well, exactly. They are inviting us into their lives in a way that they were never able to do. And they are not, um, they are not tied to a studio and to the ways that they get paid that way. They're their own boss. And so simply just from, you know, uh, entrepreneurial point of view, I find it fascinating and I say good on them. Yeah. And it's always interesting when somebody who's like super hot and they always think they're having the best sex and gosh, they're living the dream or whatever. And then they'll be like, I had four guys cancel on me this week. Like they'll let you behind the curtain of what it's really yes. like. And you're like, Ooh, yes, you know, and I hate this thing or, or they'll do that other thing where it's like, where they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful body, body, body. And then they're like, I'm having a rough time right now. And like, and you're like, well, what? Like, yes. Gear shift. Yes. And they'll sort of talk about depression or whatever they're going through. It's a whole thing. Well, you are clearly um, subscribing to more people than I am, but I'll take your word for it. All of this. Um, I love the way you write about your family um, in the book. Uh, your father is extraordinary. You you would make these big kites. I'm going through dad yes. stuff now. I never really had a dad that was that into me particularly. Uh-huh. And so mm-hmm. dad stuff I find very – at this point in my life, I, I get it. I, I, it's all sort of uh, landing in a way. But you guys would make these mm-hmm. giant – kites and go fly them yes um he uh was quite a character uh an air force uh, colonel and um and i got him retired and it was i was young enough so that he retired when i was still young enough for him to play with me and do things you know and um he got on this kick he did all sorts of things we built you know there was an inch of snow in louisiana one year and we collected collected it all for blocks away so we could build a brontosaurus in our front yard that was wow. two stories tall and um and he would build geodesic domes he got into this geodesic dome kick and so we had geodesic domes that were see-through because it was, it needed to either be see-through or rotate yeah. for it to be any fun yeah. um, for my dad. And yes, he got into box kites and we built a box kite that was six feet tall, made out of, you know, nylon or whatever. We would fly that around, and but that wasn't big enough. And so funny, my dad was a size queen. And so then <laughs> we built bigger and bigger ones and we would enter them into these contests uh, uh, on in, in this, whenever the, time of year that was go to the college uh, uh, and um, and fly them in the fields of Louisiana until finally one year we built one that was literally the size of a Winnebago it had to be constructed in our driveway it was made of wood and heavy nylon and the cord was very thick nylon cord and we put it on the back of a flatbed truck and had to tie it down so it wouldn't fly away as it was being transported to the to the college and then we had three box kites that were about 10 feet tall that we got up in the air and then attached them to the mother kite, which then got pulled up into the air. It had to fly, I think for three minutes for it to, to, to qualify for a prize, you know, and that the year of the Winnebago kite, it flew for like two minutes and 40 seconds and down it came crashing under the field. I say it looked like the, the wreckage of a commuter airplane tragedy. It was just hot glue and wood and nylon everywhere. And my dad on the evening news are like, Mr. King, Mr. King, but, but your, your kite, it didn't, it didn't make it. It didn't fly the whole time. Are you disappointed? He says, are you kidding? Did you see that? It was a spectacular crash. You know, he, he saw, he saw, um, success in everything. Um, he, he equated only happiness with success. 
Uh, he thought that we could do whatever we wanted to do and to go for it. And, uh, uh, a great monumental, uh, man. Yeah. And he, he sort of said that, that you got to try things that you have to take chances. And that's the whole point. Like he encouraged you to be a risk taker. Yes. Say. Oh, always take the risk. Always yeah. take the risk. Always raise your hand. Ask the stupid question. Everybody's thinking it, you know, and that that's influences an incredible my writing thing. a great deal. That's an incredible thing to be taught by a parent because I think everyone is so cautious, fit in, don't, you know, don't take yeah. a risk. Like that's incredible lesson yeah. to have. Um, yes. You write about how when he passed from cancer, because of your background with losing so many people to AIDS, you kind of knew how to be in a way. Like it sort of trained you for these things that a lot of people experience with their parents for the first time. You know, when dad died, we hadn't had a death in the family in a really long time. And I had gone through AIDS and the death of many friends and taking care of them and what it was all like. And so, yes, I kind of went into AIDS autopilot and jumped in and said, mom, have you called home hospice? Well, no, you know, we thought I'm like, mom, you know, she was trying to do it all herself. She's 75 or whatever she was. And, and so I just jumped in and went into action, you know, and arranged for the home hospice and had conversations with dad that people were afraid to have. Dad, you know, we need to have home hospice here. Is that okay? I'm working really hard. Needs help. He's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, sure, you know. And I was able to have, I was able to tell him what he meant to me. I was able to say, I love you and I will always talk about you. I mean, I talked to him as if he were dying, which he was. And he appreciated it, you know, and, and because I was able to have that conversation, my brothers and sisters, I would tell them about it. And they're like, oh, wow. And so they would have conversation, you know, and we all got to have that. And, and, and it was all informed by AIDS. Yeah. Um, when my parents passed, I don't think we were, we, we didn't know what we were doing. Like, and we didn't, I think we were too yeah. afraid to have the hard conversations because we thought that would jinx it. They wouldn't get better if we talked like that. Like we were just yeah. not, uh, we didn't have the handbook and you had had this handbook sort yeah. of imprinted in you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not fatalistic, but yeah. I know the facts, you know, and this doesn't get better. There's a point in which it doesn't and it yeah. won't. Yeah. And, um, you know, you got to handle these things with sensitivity, but you, you know, yes, I, I, I have had, I have said goodbye more than once. And by facing those fears, uh, before it, it, it helped me with my own dad and, and later with mom. And it, it was great. You know, I keep thinking we need to wrap it up. And then I look at my list and I'm like, oh, I have to ask him about that. So um, if you, I have a few more questions, if you have to jump off, we can wrap you it up. Have okay. to do your worst. <laughs> okay. Um, you write a chapter about Larry Kramer. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, this sounds exactly like Larry Kramer. Oh. And then I realize, oh, this is a fant fantasy in a way. But it reminded yes. me in 2005, six, seven, I co-hosted a national radio show called Radio with a Twist. And it was me, another gay host in New York, and a lesbian in Atlanta. And we all got together. And it was like an American Top 40. It was really fun. And we had mm -hmm. a, a month we did like gay icons or whatever, interviews. And Larry Kramer called in. And some of the twist people did a Zoom call recently and were like reminiscing. And I'm like, what do you remember? And Melissa's like, I remember when Larry Kramer ripped, ripped us a new asshole. Because <laughs> we were talking about like activists. And he's like, what are you doing? Like we were like, we're here to celebrate this iconic. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, well, we have a gay radio show. Like that's not enough. And he was like, eh. Like, <laughs> 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 and we, I think we all remember just the shame of like, 
we're not doing enough. We're fucking amateurs at this. Like, who do we think we are? We don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. That was that was his vibe. I think maybe he warmed up a little at the end for a question or two, but that that was my memory. But like, what well, a, what as a, a result, you person. probably you probably thought twice. Yeah. As a result yeah, of that, it works. yes. You know, and that was his that was his shtick. And I say shtick because it was an affectation of his, maybe one that he adopted for much of his waking hours. But it was a very calculated uh, posture on his part, because in real life, in his regular regular moments, he was a sweetheart. He was an old Jewish mother and he just wanted everybody to get married and be happy. Yeah. He, he was always saying, are you married? Do you, do you have a boyfriend? Oh, cause I know somebody, I know somebody, you know, he was hooking, he was fixing people up. He was, he wanted all of his little babies to be happy. And now some of that was misguided when prep came along and he was afraid that that would make gays more promiscuous. You know, he, he wasn't always on the money, right? right. Um, but it came from a place. He cared of, so much. Yes, of, of of caring and wanting everyone to be happy. He was old fashioned. Yeah, you know that way. When you wrote that piece, had you met him, or did you know him, or did, did you get no, to know him afterwards? I had not. The piece you're talking about is shopping in the mall with Larry Kramer, and it is a piece about me and Larry Kramer shopping for socks, and um, and me trying to keep him calm. Just but he's terrorizing Girl Larry. Scouts. He's like yeah, oh, in this story. Yeah. Oh yes, he is. He is going off on the people at, at, at uh, you know at um, the uh, the clothing stores because they don't know their level of giving to needle exchange. You know, he's just volcanic at all times, and I'm just trying to keep him calm. And I, it's comedy. It's farce. It was a blast to write, and I didn't know him. <clears throat> right. It was and, just an idea, a flight of fancy kind of piece. And then there's this comment that appears on my blog. Oh, that says, shit. yes, that says, um, I, how did he put it? I have it in the piece. He says, you know, I, I won't admit to having seen this or admit how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> Something like that, you know, and, uh, it was, and it was, and the email it came from was Ned Weeks. At AOL. Dead Weeks is from the, the Normal Heart. Normal Heart is his character's name in the Normal Heart. And, and then activist friends of mine who knew him said, Oh, that's Larry. That was, his. oh yeah, he read it. That was him. He thought it was hilarious. Also, AOL.com is so poignant. I know. <laughs> I still have an AOL. I don't check it, but uh, I do, it does exist. Yes. And then you got to and know so, him a little. Yeah. Yes. And then in later years, I, I did meet him and we became friendly and, and saw each other several times uh, throughout the, the remainder of his life. And he was always, always sweet and elderly and sweet and wanted to know, you know, was very happy that I was uh, I was with Michael. And, and he was very happy to know that and wanted to know about Michael and our relationship and all of that. So he was great. You write about Michael, your husband, uh, near the end of the book and meeting him and, you know, that connection. Before you met him, had you, where were you in terms of thinking about romance and relationships? And were you thinking, okay, it's over. I'm, I'm going to just be single or asking for a friend. Uh, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I had kind of, um, you know, it's funny because I look at my past relationships and I've had several that were long-term 10 years and, and, um, 
And I see myself so badly during that. I've, I, I, and all of those exes with whom I'm still friendly, you know, have said, it, you weren't so bad. Quit being so hard on yourself, you know. But when I met Michael, I told him, I've never been a good boyfriend. I've never been faithful. I've never been true. I've, I've never been honest. And I will, he said, well, it, it doesn't mean you can't be. And the simplicity of that, there was something about it that just turned its switch. And I went, I guess he's right. I guess I could be, I could make different choices. I could be a better person, you know? And, and, uh, and so my relationship with Michael, like is testament to, I can be, I, I can be a better guy, you know? And, and now I do the laundry. I take out the trash. I make dinner. You know, I do think, you know, I was, you know, getting back to looks and all of that. Dennis, I was just the pretty one before. Yeah. I was just the pretty one, you know, and, and, and I got away with shit, you know, and, uh, not with Michael. Not with Michael. No, he doesn't put up with nonsense. He, you know, you, he, you, you can't just be, uh, toss your hair and that feathered hair and he's no, okay. it doesn't no, work. No, and you would think, and I still have it's the hair. It's still you would holding think on. Was, it looks amazing. Yes. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, uh, Michael doesn't put up with nonsense and he is true blue. And that is how he operates. And we have a monogamous relationship. That is how he operates, you know, and I better not fuck that up. Um, because he doesn't suffer fools. And so he keeps me on the beam, as it were. Is it, do you wake up some days and go, wow, I'm married and settled and this is my life? Like, you probably didn't think you were going to get to live this long, you know, back in the day at all. No, and I didn't. I, am, I, I mean, I'm the guy that won a car on the price is right. <laughs> I'm a lucky guy. This is just my life, you know, yeah. and I know it every day. And, and it's funny because you think if you look at my life, you go, it doesn't sound that lucky to me. I mean, true. Um, but that is how I operate. I, I am happy to be here. Yeah. I am just so grateful that I'm here and walking and talking. And so I will take it. And, and I see myself as a very, very lucky guy. Um, tell people how they can find your book and your work. Oh, myfabulousdisease.com is my home base for all of my writing. And, yeah. uh, you can, you can see reviews of the book there. You can, it'll link you to Amazon or wherever you like to buy your books. Uh, and, uh, or you can just, uh, stroll through the, the site yourself and see what, see what amuses you. Yes. There's all kinds of, there's pictures that go with things and it's, it's just wonderful. You picked a few questions from the observation deck. Where's the strangest place you've ever been recognized? I was on my second date with Michael. We were in Washington, D.C. We were having lunch. It was my second date. I wanted very much to, 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 to impress him. I was, I was really taken by him. And the waiter, when finally delivering our food, and he's talked to us a couple of times, he says, I'm sorry. I, 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 excuse me, but are you Marcus King? Oh, so you must and have been, you, he must have felt like you paid him off to make you seem. Important. I know, I know. And I'm like, well, yes, I am. Well, I, I really enjoyed it. And he mentions a couple of things, you know, and, 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 and then, you know, retreats. And I could have kissed him. You know, I was so excited because Michael was very impressed. <laughs> Good. It worked. Your evil plan worked. Yes. I love that. Yes. Uh, you also picked this one. When was the time you were in the right place at the right time? Standing in line for the prices, right? Yeah, you got picked. Right place, right time. Yeah, for sure. Did it change your trajectory in a way, or was it just a great moment? 
Uh, it was a great moment, but it, 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 it represented so much. It represented just, you know, first of all, I will find the nearest camera and it yeah. will find me. Yeah. You know, uh, and so it had a lot to say about, um, my being ready for prime time. Yeah. You were even at least daytime TV. Yeah. You don't write about this much in this book, but in the earlier book, you came to LA to, to pursue show business. Yes. What was that time like in a nutshell? Well, it was me looking like Howdy Doody. I still had freckles and bright red hair. And I mean, I walked into an agent's office when I first got there and they said, hold it right there. Don't go anywhere. And go, they go running back to to grab people to come out in the lobby and look at this corn fed, fed guy yeah. who looked, you know, and, uh, and so for me, what it was, was taking advantage of something. I never thought I'd be an actor. I, I mean, I wasn't serious about it. I didn't go to acting classes. You, anybody, well, anybody, I was capable of standing in front of a camera and saying, it's a McDonald's fabulous rodeo to riches. Right. You know, I mean, I can do that. Um, you, but they didn't, they cared that you could do that. But what they mostly cared about is what you looked like when you first walked into the room, you know, and, 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 and here I was red hair, Green eyes, freckles, that's all they needed. You know, take him. We'll, we'll hire him. You know? What commercial did you make the most money on? Dan and Yogurt. You and Jamie Lee uh, Curtis. Hers is activity. Hers is yes, hers, yes, that's right. That was before my time, <laughs> before needing it, right? Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I did I did McDonald's and went, I did every fast food there is and Coca-Cola and all of those. Um, but the big accounts, um, like for Coca-Cola, they'd put out a new commercial every month. So I didn't make that many residuals before they went on to the next one, you know? Right. The Dan and Yogurt commercial, they ran to death. They ran it and ran it and ran it, and it paid for a car and then some. I love it. That's good. Here's another question you picked. Who was your most surprising fan? Um, <laughs> uh, Elton John and his husband, uh, uh, David. David Furnish. Um, That's amazing. Yes, David Fur- um, I, I, I met David, his, his, his partner, his husband is the head of the Elton John AIDS Foundation, or he's the director of the board or what have you. And, and we met at a conference once and he said, Mark, I love your stuff. I read it all the time. I mean, I know you don't believe me, but I promise you, I read it. And I'm sometimes we're sitting at caught, we're sitting having breakfast. And I say, Elton, you got to hear this. And he'll read to Elton, something I had written. And, uh, and that was enough. But then when I was turning 60, I did this, it was during COVID and I did this big online event for turning 60 and I made it a fundraiser for long-term survivors. And, and it became a big, and I had, you know, Greg Luganis and the star of uh, Hamilton and various people coming on, wishing me well, but making it about all long-term survivors. Right. And so it was kind of like I had my cake and ate it too, you know, oh, it's really about all people, but really about me. And um, as part of that, Elton and David came on and sang me happy birthday. Amazing. And so Elton has sung me happy birthday. And so that is the, I, I say unlikely, it shouldn't be that unlikely. He's very involved in HIV causes, but um, I will never forget it. Was never, he at the piano else. or was he just singing a cappella? No, they were sitting in their library and they sang a cappella. Interesting. And, and what's so funny about their version of, of <laughs> happy birthday is that uh, David, uh, David starts singing harmony to Elton singing the happy birthday part. And I'm like, wow, you know, if you're going to be married to Elton John, you better be able to sing harmony. Yeah. You know, it's and he could. 
He could. Yeah. I, I'm having a bit of an Elton renaissance in my life. I did a big research uh, writing project about him last year for a podcast called Even the Rich. And I got to mm. see his concert uh, at uh, Dodger Stadium. And I, I have a jukebox I recently got repaired and it's all Elton. Like, he was so important to me as a kid. And I had a novel come out in 1998 called Misadventures in the 213. And I was in Book Soup in Los Angeles. And I was going around signing stock because I was like that guy. Like, I'm going to do everything I can to sell this fucking book. I, I will show up anywhere. I'll do anything. So I'd go into bookstores and sign what they had because uh, it would make it a little more attractive or you'd get whatever. And the clerk goes um, – she goes, guess who was in here yesterday and bought three copies of your book? And I said, I don't know. And she said, Elton John. And I nearly fell the fuck over. And I'm oh, like, my God. And I like to imagine that one was for George Michael, one was for him. <laughs> and maybe Donatella got the other one because this was 98. She needed, you know, I don't know. But I never got to yeah. meet him or, you know, whatever. But, like, three copies. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. That's right. He's a treasure. Wow. What a treasure. Yes. And he mm -hmm. helped Brittany. I just read the Brittany book. He's in there. All right. We're going to wrap it up. This is a delight. Thank you so much. I loved your writing. I love talking to you. I think that your stories are, are little windows into these moments in our history. And, and they're just a pleasure to read. So congratulations. Um, Thank you. Here's my final question. How would you describe this time in your life right now? Having this book out, what does it mean to you this moment? Uh, settled settled. Um, I'm busy because of the book, but I, I get to rest on my, I, I get, I, I get to allow myself some satisfaction. And after, um, a sometime tumultuous life, I'll take it. I'll take the, uh, I'll, I'll take the ability to sit and feel satisfied with where I am, with my age, with, uh, my place in life. Um, my, I, I feel like I finally kind of right sized myself. I'm not bigger than I need to be. Um, but I appreciate my own contributions and I feel good. I feel good. That's wonderful. What a great note to end it on. Mark, thank you so much for taking so much time and, uh, congrats on the book. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks again to Mark S. King. Check out his book, My Fabulous Disease, wherever you get your books. And also you can learn more about what he's up to at MyFabulousDisease.com. Okay, so this happened. I think I've talked on this podcast before about T-Pop. It's my favorite neighborhood hangout. I go there to work a lot. I meet friends there. We did play tests for You Don't Know My Life there. So there was a 53% rent increase and T-Pop closed. And uh, last Saturday was the last day it was open. And they had one of their regular art markets in the afternoon. So I went and sold games as just kind of a last hurrah. And um, it started out raining. It was raining. So, and I don't have a cover, like a canopy, like some of the other vendors. I kind of hid under another vendor's cover. But then finally it cleared up um, about a half hour after start time. And I got my table up and it was just a glorious day. It was sunshiny and a lot of friends came to visit. And I met a lot of other people there who love T-pop and neighborhood people. And it was just a reminder of like, there's so much ugliness online and then when you go out in the real world, you're like, oh, people aren't all assholes. They're, like, lovely. And it was just, like, it was a final last uh, hurrah moment. And um, I may have said this the last time I talked about this place, but um, the owner, Arlene, I tried to tell her what it meant to me a few weeks ago when I found out it was closing, and I got emotional. I couldn't quite get the words out. But she told me that when um, they opened and they first had their Google Images on Google, you know how they have pictures of places on Google Images? 
um, I could be seen in the window typing away. So I like that. I like that. <laughs> that's that's kind of a, a badge of honor to me. And I, they have a rewards app where you can see how many times you've been there. And I brought it up on Saturday, the last day that was open, and um, 365 visits. A year of my life, I went there. So it's just sad. I really feel like, you know those kids in every movie where the, the community center is getting closed and they decide to put on a show to save it from the big bad developers? I really felt like that. Only we didn't put on a show, we didn't save it. Um, but anyway, I they were selling the fixtures and stuff this week, so I popped by to give Arlene a game and, and maybe buy a few things. And I bought... Um, they have this little sign by the where you pick up your drinks that says, if your drink is meh, we'll make it again. And I always thought that was funny and also like generous and like being a good, you know, the customer is always right kind of place. And um, so I got to take that sign. And also I got a rock that was painted teapot that somebody had given them during the pandemic. And so, I don't know, I felt like it was a... It's, it, it was sad, and uh, but, but the last days were meaningful, and I'll always miss it. So cherish your neighborhood places, because you don't know how long they're going to be there. All right, that's enough for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I want to give a shout-out to Oscar Rosario for mixing the episode. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye! Bye.